everyone. Welcome again to the Warrior Monk Podcast. And in this episode, uh, I was really grateful to link up with Jason Sweet of SOCOM Athlete. I've been watching uh, SOCOM Athlete via social media for a little while here, and I really thought the programs that they're setting up, the experiences they're giving uh, young people coming into the military, but more specifically to the special operations, the SOCOM uh, community, the service they're providing them with, giving them a little taste of what's really going to happen once you come in the door with intent to come into the special operations community, the mentorship that they're providing. I'm huge on mentorship and I love this aspect of mentoring, molding, and shaping the next generation of special operators. So Jason was awesome to invite me to his home. He's a, he's a, he's a good Christian dude. He just completely opened his arms to me and, and, and brought me into his home, to his space. He does some podcasting as well. So we set up in, at his place, had, had a little food, had told a couple jokes, had a few laughs, and then got right into some, some fun conversation, which I won't steal his thunder, so I'll let him tell his stories about some of his life experience as well as serving alongside his father, who is also a pararescueman. And also drop in more details about how SOCOM Athlete came about and some of the things SOCOM Athlete is doing and events they'll be having in the future. So I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'm going to go right in the conversation. But before I do, I just want to say, guys, if you've been enjoying the Warrior Monk podcast, if you've liked the episodes that have come out, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, leave some positive feedback and comments. Reach out to me on a direct message on Facebook or on Instagram at the Warrior Monk Podcast and let us know what you think of the podcast so far. Connect us to someone else you think is a Warrior Monk. Either send them a message or link them up with us and let's uh, let's keep this thing going. I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I've been having a great year so far connecting with people and I want to connect with more. So that's all I got for you. No more promotions. Just going to cut right into the conversation. So enjoy a conversation with Jason Sweet of SoCom Athlete. Thank you guys so much for joining me again on the Warrior Monk Podcast. I'm really excited today because I am joined by Jason Sweet of SoCom Athlete. Jason, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on the podcast, Lance. It's a blessing to be here, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I reached out to you via your socials, and uh, I've been watching SoCom Athlete for a little while here, and I think what you guys are doing is really, really awesome for folding, or excuse me, molding the next generation of uh, special operators that are trying to come into the military and uh, wanted to talk to you today about mentorship and some of your experiences as being an Air Force pararescueman. And uh, I think we could have a really great conversation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I'm, I'm glad we can make this happen. Yeah, me too, Lance. Looking forward to it as well, man. Yeah. So for, for my listeners, for anybody out there listening to the Warmonk podcast who don't know about you, uh, can you give them a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. I, I mean, I don't like talking about myself too much, Lance. So, you know, I try to keep it short. Um, you know, I was raised um, by a PJ. So I think that's kind of where it all starts. And you and I, before we start the podcast, we're talking about yeah. um, the times that are going on in this country right now. And we uh, brought up the word privilege. And we talked about what privilege really is, is blessing, being blessed with something. And there's nothing like being blessed with the father. So uh, my father was actually a PJ. Mm-hmm. And um he got out whenever I was about two years old, and he got out because he wanted to be uh, the dad that he never had. So um, fast forward 19 years later, um, whenever I actually ended up being a pararescueman, so I was in the PJ pipeline, my dad re-enlisted to become a PJ as well. So we actually ended up serving together 
at the same team at the same time. And again, I don't know if this is completely true, but I haven't heard anybody else say that they've done this or that this has ever happened. But from what I've heard, um, Dad and I are the first special operators to serve on the same team at the same time in history. Which is an incredible story. I mean, just just the very fact that that you know you were raised by PJ and then, you know, decided to follow that same path as your dad. And then the fact that you guys ended up serving together, I mean, that does, that's, that's gotta be the one and only event out there. I mean, you hear about brothers sometimes, right. That are, that end up going, going in together, but never, never a father and son. Well, you say that Lance, but I got to tell you, man, like it wasn't planned out. Dude. Oh, I'm like, sure. I'm you sure. Know, that, that wasn't something that we ever thought was going to happen. I mean, I, I think my dad pushed me to be an athlete more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted me to be a good student, but I think it was more athletics than anything. And like, hey, son, get a scholarship, work on baseball and just being a good dude. And what I learned is that um, I went to college and um, had a full ride baseball scholarship to Grand Canyon University. And I tell you what, Lance, like I dedicated my entire life to baseball and I didn't have a contingency. And you and I know what, what contingencies <laughs> are. You know, and I tell if, uh, for our listeners out there, having a backup plan versus a contingency, they're very different things. The contingency True. is like, okay, if things absolutely don't go my way, how am I still going to accomplish the mission? Like, what's right. my what's my plan B? Like, right. that's more of a, a contingency, right? That pace and, plan, right? Primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency. Right. And, and to me, like, the backup plan is mm-hmm. like, okay, like, if I can't get the mission done, like, what else am I going to do? Right? So it's like kind of like admitted failure. And then it's like moving on to the next. So I didn't have a backup plan or a contingency at all. Like, all my eggs were in one basket to yeah. play professional baseball and then I don't know go on and and teach uh, history and coach at my high school you know whatever you know I didn't really I wasn't thinking that far when I was a kid but I guess that was kind of the picture that I painted out and a lot of the students you brought up SOCOM athlete the company that I'm running now a lot of our students they want this identity they want to have like this this space filled for okay this is what I'm going to do in the future so I understand that, and I wanted that, to, that space to be filled. I wanted to know what I was going to do in the future. And baseball, all of a sudden, being on a full-ride scholarship at Grand Canyon University in 2008, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my arms stopped working. And mm. I, was, I, I was signed as a pitcher. Right. And when you're a pitcher and you can't throw a fastball harder than about 81, 82 miles an hour. That's your bread and butter, it, man. That, that's it. That's that's it for you, man. I mean, yeah. unless you have like perfect control and some nasty off-speed stuff and you're left-handed, like you don't really stand a chance. So yeah. the, the baseball thing wasn't really working out. And this was 2008 when the recession was going on. And my father, like I told you, he was a PJ, but he got out and he started building houses. Mm-hmm. So him and my mom, they started off like remodeling houses. And then one thing led to another. And dad was building like a lot of custom built homes, like maybe 12, 13 custom built homes a year down in the Destin, Florida area yep. in like Kelly Plantation, Regatta Bay, all yeah. of those subdivisions that are all built up. Now he was building all those houses. And so we moved to Arizona when I was 13, Lance. So that was a pretty big change for us to move from being in the Destin, Pensacola area to the middle of the desert. Well, it was northeastern Arizona. It's a little town called Payson, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Shout out to anyone from Payson. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about. Definitely a a diamond in the rough. But we moved to Payson, Arizona, right? And so my dad was kind of commuting back to Florida to run this business. Yeah. So fast forward back to 2008. 
my mom had got this operation and it really messed her up, Lance. So she ended up having to take these different medications and they messed her up pretty bad. And she developed hypothyroidism. Oh, so it's, it's tough. It's yeah, tough. It, it was it was bad. So she was developing some mental issues, some physical issues, all derived from this operation gone mm-hmm. wrong and these medications. So long story short, dad couldn't go back to Florida to run his business. He had to stay out there and take care of mom. And at the same time, we get hit with the 2008 recession. My arm's not working. Like everything just falls apart, man. And I was a pod, I was on a podcast recently with my, my good friend, Craig Bayin. Shout out to you, Craig, if you're listening. And he asked me about the pivot point yeah. in my life. And I tell you what, Lance, that was the, the pivot point. And not only was it the pivot point, it was whenever I had absolutely nothing. I, I mean, we're talking nothing. So I didn't have money. I didn't have hope. And hope is like the best thing we can have, right? It's huge. I'm, I'm sure it's so we'll important. Up, right, right. I'm sure we'll talk about selection later and, and, and training for special operations selection. And hope is like one of the best things that will get you through. So I had no hope. Um, I had nowhere to go. And my arm's not working. And um, this is 2008. I finished up the season. And I'll never forget, my dad had built this house in Paradise Valley, Arizona. And this house was so large that Shaquille O'Neal had just got traded to the Phoenix Suns. Oh, okay. Yep. That's around around the right time frame. Right, right. Around 2008, 2009. Yep. And so he gets traded to the Phoenix Suns. And I remember my dad calling me. And I had a BlackBerry at the time, right? So it's like 2008. It's a cool phone. Dating it. Dating it. Dating (laughs) it. I had a BlackBerry. And dad calls me. He's like, hey, man. Guess who just came into the house? I'm like, who, Dad? He's like, Shaq. I'm like, what'd you say to him, Dad? You know, because I'm like small town. He's like, I said, what's up, Shaq? I'm like, all right, man. Cool. <laughs> what'd he do? He's like, well, he just uh, walked around the house. He's like, his wife is about half his height. It's kind of funny. I was like, yeah, man, cool. So anyways, this was a house that Shaq went to, okay? Yeah. So long story short, Lance, um, everything had fallen apart for me, and I didn't want to go back home. I wanted to figure out what God's plan was for me, what, where I needed to go in life. And I was not living the life that I should. And I turned the wrong direction. And so I didn't want to go home and I hit my dad up. I'm like, Hey dad, like, you know, is there any, any, you got any ideas? Like, what can I do? And he's like, well, stay down there. I'll give you the keys to this house. It's foreclosed, but I'll give you the keys to it. You can stay in it. No electricity, no running water, no furniture, but at least you have a place to stay for the next week or so. Okay. So I, I ended up going to this house, right? Like squatting it, yeah, right? yeah. like going to this house. I got the key and uh, I'll never forget, man. Like I had a fake ID, Lance. Like I said, I, I was I was into some bad stuff. I was going to the back door. I had a fake ID and I was going to this casino and I was playing blackjack mm-hmm. and I was counting, trying to count cards. Okay. I read this book on trying to count cards, getting my butt kicked, right? And uh, and I have a horrible night and I get back to this this house and, uh, and I was sick to my stomach because I lost the little money that I had. Okay. And, um, I, I just, I couldn't believe that like I decided to go to a casino when I was already like starving for money right. to try to like replicate that, you know, and it made me sick to my stomach. And I remember going outside of the house and for the first time in a very long time, looking up to the sky and in Arizona, you can see every star out there mm-hmm. sometimes. And I remember looking up and just praying. And I said, Lord, I'm at the lowest place I've ever been in my life. And I don't know what you want me to do with my life, but I surrender it to you. And I ask that you reveal it to me. 
And almost instantaneously, there was like this response in my head. And the response was, how do you want me to tell you? And I said, okay, have my dad tell me the precise moment that I wake up tomorrow morning, have him call me and reveal it to me. I haven't talked to him in two weeks. If that happens, I'll know that it's not a coincidence. So I go back into the house and uh, I think I stayed up till probably like 3 a.m. And I remember just kind of like brushing off the prayer, you know, getting into some other stuff, thinking about how bad it was that I lost all that money. And then I go to bed and I wake up the next morning, Lance, and I just, the first thing I think about was, I can't believe I just lost all my money. Yeah. Okay. And then I start frantically searching around for my phone because I remember the prayer. And again, dude, there's like no furniture. So I'm like, where's it at? Is it in the cracks? <laughs> there's you only know? so many places. <laughs> yeah, I'm like looking around for it. And I got one pillow yeah. and the pillow's on the ground. So I pick the pillow up and the phone goes from being illuminated to dark as mm-hmm. soon as I pick the pillow up, as if I got no phone call or a text. Right. So I'm like, whoa, man. Okay, let's see what's up. And I pick my phone up and it's a missed call from my dad, 11.31 a.m. No kidding. Call him back, and before I can even get into it, he goes, hey, son, I have somebody who I want you to meet. His name is Chief Master Sergeant James Sanchez, and he's a superintendent down at the 306 Rescue Squadron. And I knew right then and there that it was God's plan for me to become a pararescueman. Wow. Well, Jason, thank you for sharing that. I mean, like, it, it takes a lot to look back on some of the places we've been in life and 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 realize that we were erring in our ways and realizing that we were hitting... Uh, you know, rock bottom. And I appreciate you sharing that. And that's so powerful to have that, that, that communing, you know, with your, with, with God and with, in creation and handing it kind of your fate over. Um, I had, I had a, not quite as intense an experience, but I had a, a kind of a similar experience of my own coming into the military, trying to decide is like this the right thing to do. And it seems like if you let your, your heart be open to it, you know, the message, you will receive the message. You just gotta, you just have to be open to it and, and be listening. Yeah, Lance, I agree with that 100%, man. And, you know, it's it stinks that sometimes in our lives we have to wait until we're at rock bottom, until we just listen and we are, are receptive to what we need to do because life is so fast sometimes. And because of the speed of life and the distractions of life, sometimes we don't stop and think and game plan and yep. evaluate. Yep. And so that was a time where I had to stop. And I guess that's what it took. So absolutely, man, you know, and it, it was the pivot point. So fast forward, I go into pararescue and uh, this is the traditional end doc. So I don't want to be like an old crusty and talk about how hard it was when I went through. But what I will say is there is no more PJ end doc course. Um, you know, I showed you some of the, the memorabilia around here, you know, the guys that we started yep. with. We were starting with about 90 guys and we graduated 15 dudes and it was about a two and a quarter year pipeline for me. Um, and whenever I was going through the, uh, pararescue, uh, apprentice course portion, I was just about to start the course. My dad decides to, to re-enlist. Okay. And I'm just like, whoa, man, like you're coming back in dad. Like, are, are you serious? He's like, yeah. Did he just, did he just call you up kind of on a whim and tell you this is, this is what he wanted to do? So I, I guess I kind of jumped the gun there. Like dad calls me. Whenever I'm actually, I, I think I was in, you know, Lance, I was in paramedic school. Yep. Okay. So my, my PJ pipeline was, I went through NDOC mm-hmm. and then went through the combat diver course and then army airborne school, SEER school, and then EMT basic over at Kirtland air force base. And then the paramedic school after the paramedic course is when they send us to halo school after right. halo, they would send us to 
the pararescue apprentice course. So when I was going through paramedic, my dad hit me up. I was like, hey, son, um, I'm getting back into shape. I'm going to go back into pararescue. So I guess like Sanch, that's Chief Sanchez, mm-hmm. I call Sanch. So super Sanch, super Sanch, you know, not only was he like the messenger, like, Hey, bring your boy down here. Yeah. But he started like being a little bug in my dad's ear. Like, yeah. Hey, Mo, yeah. you know, times are tough right now. Like, <laughs> you, you look like you're in pretty good shape, man. Why don't you come back in? My dad's like, come on, Sanch, you're not serious. He's like, I'm dead serious. We're putting the band back together. <laughs> putting the band back together, man. Can still play. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So dad ended up taking Sanchez's uh, advice and uh, and going back in. And so I'll never forget, Lance, like I'm at Kirtland Air Force Base. Okay, we have these dorms mm-hmm. and each dorm you share a bathroom. So you get your own room, okay? And that's a pretty cool thing about being at Kirtland. You get your own room, but you share a bathroom, okay? And I had um, my own roommate for the first uh, portion that I was there, but somehow they worked it. To where when my dad arrived, he and I moved to the same dorm. So I shared a bathroom with my pops. Wow. <laughs> so the only, that's probably the only military experience, too, where, where two people, a father and son, were also sharing, sharing dorms, too. <laughs> yeah, man, getting paid the same amount, too, yeah, because yeah, he, yeah. Got, he got demoted from E5 yeah, to like E4. Yeah, he lost all his rank from being out, right? Yeah, so I mean, he made a little bit more than I was at E three. I did Airman First Class. Okay, he, yeah. You only get to put on E four until you get your uh, your three level, which is mm-hmm. a bummer about the pararescue pipeline because you're like some guys have been in for like three years, like these yeah. old crusty guys, and they can't even put on E four because they're not a three level yet. Yeah. So, but yeah, man. So Dad and I are going through the pipeline together, and they actually put us in the same pararescue apprentice course so that we could graduate together and, and make history and, and do all this stuff, but. They sent dad through this fast-tracked EMT paramedic course up in Boise, Idaho with this gentleman named Tom Bosman. And we're talking like getting paramedic qualified and going through clinicals in like four months, man. Whoa, super fast-tracked. Like like really fast. Like dad had to do like EMT basic, EMT paramedic and clinicals on four and a half months. And I think that whole process for us was like six and a half months. So he was doing it even quicker. And like to, civilian equivalency is like, what, a year almost of doing a, a, that? About a year. Yeah. I, I heard it's just under a year. So, I mean, this dude's knocking it out quick. Yeah. Right? And so he's about to start the pararescue apprentice course. And, you know, it, it, check that. We start the course together. Okay. We're actually like doing stuff together. We're, we're literally into like day three. And all of a sudden, dad finds out that he failed the paramedic national registry test. Oh, no. And he's got to go back up and take it again. So he ends up taking care of business. Of course, he, he takes care of it. He passed the test, but okay. he actually ends up in the class behind me. So I, I graduated in class 1101 um, for pararescue apprentice course, class 1101, got, got my beret uh, 2011, uh, April 18th, actually. My anniversary is April 19th. So I, I okay. can't get those two yeah. dates mixed up, man. But, uh, but dad would have graduated with me, but he ended up graduating the class okay. after me. So that was a pretty incredible experience, man. And then Fast forward again, we end up getting stationed together at the 306 Rescue Squadron in Tucson, Arizona. Right. And then you guys actually deployed together as well, no, didn't you? You know, we weren't allowed to deploy together, Lance. Um, there's an AFI, actually, that they had to... I don't know the, the deal with it, but father, son, brothers, they, they can't deploy together. Um and they actually had to create some new AFI, I think. I could be wrong, but it was some type of regulation 
that did not allow Dad and I okay. to fly on military aircraft together. Either. Right, right. Like our commander was not playing around, and he was a great guy. Keeler was a great guy. Love him to death. Um, but he was like, yeah, I'm not going to play around with this. Love you guys, but you're not going to be flying a military aircraft together. You're not deploying together, and you're not going to do missions together. So we actually had a workaround. And Chief Master Sergeant James Sanchez, my boy, Super Sans, <laughs> I'll bring him up again. So, I mean, Sanchez is kind of an outlaw, man. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm going to figure out a way to get this done. And we end up getting lift tickets at Skydive Arizona, and Dad and I got to do a couple military free falls together okay. out in the skydive Arizona. And then Chief Sanchez's retirement jump, okay, he decided to do a jump with just my dad and I. So it was just Chief Sanchez, my father and I from 13,000 feet at uh, skydive Arizona, linking up, having a blast, free falling through the air. So that's one of the best experiences of my, of my life is uh, doing a halo jump, getting paid uh, to free fall out of a... Perfectly good. Well, no airplanes are perfectly good, but uh, but jump out of a plane with, with the pops and uh, Chief Sanchez. So that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing that story. It's 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 definitely one of a kind, and I it is, I can see by the grin on your face, man. It's like been probably some of the the best memories of your military experiences, being able to have that time serving with your dad and and having that that camaraderie. I mean, the camaraderie we have in the military is so tight, anyway. I mean, it's t- it's tight in the military community. If you're in the same unit or the same career field, it's even tighter. But then if you've got your family there, it takes it to a whole nother level. So I, I, I can't even imagine. So I appreciate you sharing the experience. You know, and not only is it about that, but it's like, you know, I think one of the biggest reasons why you brought me on the podcast is to talk about mentoring and mentorship. Yeah. And um, I was blessed to have great mentors. And Sanch and my dad, great mentors, man. And, you know, God bless him. God rest his soul. Chief Master Sergeant Nick McCaskill, um, incredible mentor. Um, outside of the military, Ricardo Valerdi, incredible mentor. And uh, even Coach Rodriguez, man, Rich Rod at the University of Arizona. Didn't get to talk to him a whole lot because he was the boss man. But the mm-hmm. time that I did get to spend one-on-one with him, incredible mentor. I mean, you have all these mentors in your life, and really that's what it's all about. Whether it was your football coach or your mother, you know, we never get where we're at alone. And that's really what it's all about is seeking out great mentors. And, you know, shout out to you, Sanch, if you're listening. I mean, I couldn't have got here without you. So, you know, that's really what it's all about. Um, you know, fast forward after that, um, I went to Afghanistan. Um, I was in Helmand province, um, came back from Afghanistan and um, put on the five level, um, put on E5 and then uh, moved on um, to going to school. So I became a reservist pararescue man. So okay. reservist PJ, you know, it's like you got to come in quite a bit. So you're still reservist, but you got to jump X amount of times yep. per quarter, static line and free fall. Got to do a certain amount of situational medical exercises, X amount of flight hours and fixed wing and then rotary wing. Um, you got to do AIEs a certain amount per quarter. So uh, fast rope, hoist, rappel, rope ladder um, on land and in water. Um, I think you got to do a couple scuba dives a year. So it is uh, a legitimate part-time job. And yeah. you kind of control how much you come in, how much you deploy, and whatnot. So I started going to school. And I was like, okay, I'll just take this to the next level. And I'll, I'll become a doctor. And so I'm like, okay, man, you know, I'll go to the U of A. But I, I couldn't get in. And so I go to the Pima Community College, and I take like this placement test so that I can see like if I test into basic biology, like uh, the bio, bio 181 equivalent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I don't even test into it, man. And then like, I'm like, man, like how, how am I going to do this? They want me to take like two classes before I can even take uh, U of A level biology. 
So that was quite a quite a struggle, man. It's just like having to deal with the fact that I had a 2.5 GPA in high school and I never really paid attention to any of this stuff. And so here I am trying to study for these placement tests and I end up having to spend about a year and a half, two years at Pima Community College. So um, like I said, I was playing baseball in college before all this and I gave baseball another shot. And Pima Community College is like one of those schools where you have these players and if you go to an NCAA school, you are automatically out of the draft until your junior year. Okay, so four-year school. NAIA, NCAA, you're out of draft for four years. So you have these players, and they want to go pro, right? But they don't want to stay out of the draft for three years. And what they do is they go to these community colleges in, in baseball. So this school in Tucson, it was a community college, but like the, the pitchers there, Lance... I mean, some of them are throwing 93, 94. <laughs> we had this guy named Hiram Formo, and there were more radar guns in the stands than fans when this right. guy was pitching. He was throwing 95 miles an hour. And, I mean, he had good tail on his fastball, good control, good command. He was smooth. He, he had poise. Great pitcher. And the dude was 19 years old. So, I mean, those are the kind of guys that I was competing with. And, you know, I was throwing like 84, a little bit harder than the injury days right before I enlisted. But it wasn't enough. So I tried, you know, never quit type thing, right? But but I hung up my cleats at that point. And then uh, just kept going to school, knocked out my associate's degree and transferred to the U of A. And uh, I met my wife around this time. And it's funny, man, because I haven't told this story on a podcast yet. But Uh uh, so speaking of my dad, so we're in uniform together, Lance, and we go to this Olive Garden right off base. And we have this server named Courtney. And Courtney's a good-looking girl, okay? Like, she's not necessarily my type, but she's a good-looking girl. So it was a little embarrassing for me when I was checking out this blonde girl who is serving other tables next to us, and my dad caught me, and he's like, hey, son. He goes, that's your girl, man. You got to talk to her. And I'm like, come on, dad. Like, you know, I don't talk to girls when they're working or at the gym. He's like, oh, come on, son. So Courtney comes up. Right. And immediately dad's like, Hey, Courtney, my son's got a thing for tall, pretty blonde girls. What's her story? And I'm like, so embarrassed, dude. I'm like, it's oh, turning beat red. I can just imagine oh, it. Yeah, dude, you, yeah, man. And so she goes, Oh, that's Jessica. Um, I don't think she has a boyfriend, but she doesn't really give her number out, but, uh, you're kind of cute and kind of funny. So she might do it. And I was like, okay, I don't really know if that's a compliment, Courtney, but I appreciate it. You know, she like takes off, you know? And uh, Jessica comes back up to the table later and she's got like the cheese grater, right? And there's like the Olive Garden commercial out there where you see like, uh, they're, they're like warming up like it's a Rocky movie or something, yeah. you know, because of one dude is getting all the cheese and it's like piled up to the ceiling on his pasta, right? So I had that in my mind, you know, not knowing that Jessica didn't have the same commercial in her mind, of course, right? She like <laughs> comes up to the table, I'm all nervous. And she like comes to me last, you know, hey, sir, would you like some cheese? And I'm like, I hope you work out because I like a lot of cheese. <laughs> Best pickup line ever. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, she ended up marrying me. So, I mean, try it. It worked. <laughs> but uh, worst pickup line ever. She doesn't even laugh. She doesn't even look at me in the eye. She just goes, hmm. And then she goes on like, and I'm like, why did I say that? <laughs> like, why, why? So long story short, man, uh, Courtney gives us our check and it's got Jessica's number. Okay. And I have it memorized, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast because oh, I don't want y'all prank calling my wife yeah. now. But <laughs> anyways... So she, my wife gives me her, her phone number 
And uh, I, I credit that to, to my dad. So he ended up being the best man at my wedding. And that was, that was the best experience I've had with my dad in uniform was the day that he picked up my wife for me at uh, Olive Garden. So. <laughs> making, making all sorts of connections for you in life, man. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, so that, was, that was great. Um, I'm at the U of A at that time. And um, it's been six years. So I decided not to re-enlist um, because I had walked on the U of A football team and uh, was in my second year um, studying biochemistry. And I put all my eggs in that football basket and yep. uh, decided to go with that. Um, had the blessing of, of being a U of A football player at University of Arizona. It was just incredible, Lance. Like I remember just like being a football player in high school and how much I loved the game and just wishing that I could play pro ball or, or play in college, but just knowing like, Hey man, like you don't, you don't have this genetically. You're not fast enough. You're not big enough, not strong enough, but baseball on the other hand, I was like, okay, like this is a game of skill, right? I can go out and work my butt off and get better and better and better. And I have enough athletic ability to be able to take this to the next level football, not so much, but as a 26 year old man who had just gone through six years of special operations training and being a pararescue man and learning how to be a good teammate and dedicate yourself to something and be regimented and be focused and have a routine. I was a different athlete and I weighed 215 pounds when I walked on the team, lean muscle, and they beefed me up to 225 pounds and put me a linebacker. So I was a running back. And whenever I walked on the team, they cut me the first time, by the way. And uh, another, another side story here about that. I was so discouraged, Lance, because, you know, the law of attraction you like imagine something's going to happen before mm -hmm. it does. And you like, believe it. You're like, this is going to happen. And, and like, you, you almost believe it so much where, where you know it's going to happen. Right. Like, have you been there? Oh yeah. So I, I was there. Like I, I knew I was going to get on the U of A football team. I had prepared enough. I knew the type of 40 yard dash times they were looking for the type of footwork they needed, all of that kind of stuff. And when I tried out the first time they cut me and this was March of 2014 and I was still a reservist PG at the time. So this is a bit of a rewind. I know I'm bouncing around, Lance. No, it's so all right, man. I'm enjoying the story. So um, anyways, I'm down. So so I got cut, all right? And I'm still a reservist PJ. My, my six-year enlistment is up in October of 2014. So this is like March, April time frame. And I get slotted for this rescue jumpmaster course down in Patrick Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a 308th Rescue Squadron, guys. PJ's down there, and we're teaming up with them. And we're putting on this big course. So there's a guy down there, um, God rest his soul, uh, Carl Enos. And Carl, you want to talk about mentorship. Um, Carl messaged me on Facebook. have no idea how he got my information. But I was at Combat Dive School in 2009. And he's like, hey, man, I'm interested in becoming a PJ. And he gave me his background. I'm like, holy crap, Like this dude's the man. And so I took a couple of hours that day to type him out this summary and give my phone number. And that was the first time where I felt my calling as a mentor getting people ready for special operations was in my dorm room on a Saturday at combat dive school, like four months after I created a Facebook for the first time, I got that message from Carl. And I remember telling him, cause he said he was from the, that he was from Florida. And I remember telling him about the 308 rescue squadron. Right. Like, Hey man, you can actually try out for this reserve PJ team. Did you know that? And you can get stationed there. He's like, I didn't know that, you know? And I told him about getting ready for it. And uh, long story short, he ended up becoming a PJ. So nice. this is the first time I got to see Carl since he was actually a PJ. So I'm down there at Cocoa Beach Air Force Base. I got cut from the U of A football team. I'm like pretty much getting out of the military on like my last TDY, doing some cool guy stuff. 
hanging out with Carl, hanging out with Bill Posh. God bless him too, man. I mean, that was the Jolly 51 crash mm-hmm. is, is what ended these guys' lives. And uh, he had Mark Weber on there too, a combat rescue officer, some incredible uh, flight engineers, pilot, co-pilot, um, great dudes, I heard. I didn't know those four guys personally. I didn't know Mark Weber personally, but I did know Bill Posh and uh, obviously knew Carl well. So I'm down there with these guys, and I remember telling them about what was going on. And Bill Posh and uh, Peterson and uh, Ziegler, man, these guys were like, hey, dude, like, don't give up on your goal, man. We're going to hook you up. And so we ended up like PTing, because we always got a PT each day, yep. right? Good day starts with good PT. Right. Shout out to my boy, JB Spizo. Uh, good day starts with good PT. So our PT, for a few times while I was there, these guys set up cones for me and got the stopwatches out. And help me run a 40-yard dash. So that's the big evaluation for speed in football. If you, right. if you don't have a good 40 time, you're not going to get picked up, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. You think you run a 4.940 or a 4.740, okay, you come out, you're on a five flat, you're going to get cut. And that's why I got cut my first time. So I'm out there doing 40-yard dashes, and then we play ultimate football after that a bunch of times. It was great, man. And I ended up getting my 40-yard dash time to, to about a 4.8, 4.9, and I'm just like, dude, I don't know if that's fast enough, you know? So finish Rescue Jump Master School, get back um, to Arizona, and um, they end up canceling the tryout. Really? And I'm like, geez, man, like, okay, like, whatever, you know, I, I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm still going to go with it. My 40 time isn't quite where I want it to be. It's still in that 4.8, 4.9 range. It's got to be down to that 4.6, 4.7 range. So I'm going to get picked up as a skill player for a Pac-12 school. That's just the way it is. So it gave me a little bit more time to prepare and get my body back to where it was uh, the first time I tried out, which I had a bad day. And uh, I came out and I ran that four seven forty yard dash and I did pretty good. I ended up when we did one on ones, they they partnered us up with the receiver mm-hmm. and you know quarterbacks like throwing bombs to the receiver. And I actually ended up like knocking this dude over a couple times. And I didn't mean to, but I guess the coaches loved it. And they were like, "Hey man, we picked you up because you're a physical guy and you had the speed we're looking for. If you don't go a hundred percent at every single practice, we're gonna cut your ass as quick as we got you on this team." That's exactly what they told me. But those were the happiest words ever. Man. Sure. And I, I tell you what, like becoming a PJ, um, that was hard, man. Uh, becoming a U of A football player was hard in a different way because it was something that I didn't really think I ever had the ability to do. And I just really had to dig deep. Like the pipeline was really hard, Lance. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it was, it was absolutely brutal. But I feel like my genetics and my preparation was, I was a little, I had more of an advantage in the pipeline than I did for this whole U of A football thing. So it was tough. And then fast forward from there, I tore my ACL on my meniscus. Oh, man. Yeah, man. I, we ended up making it to the Fiesta Bowl. We were ranked 10th in the country. And uh, I didn't get a whole lot of playing time that year. I played on special teams a little bit. And that really bothered me. So I got like obsessed with, with practicing and obsessed with trying to get better. Almost, it was way out of balance, dude. Like it, it was not, it was like 90% football and like 10% everything else. Right. right. And that's not, that's not good. So, you know, we talked about God earlier and whatnot and purpose. Um, that whole football thing was taken away from me pretty quickly once I got out of balance. I tore my ACL and my meniscus that summer of uh, 2015 over training. And uh, man, it was, it was a bad time for me. Uh, ACL and meniscus surgery. Um, and it pretty much ended my career. I got to stay on the team in rehab. We went to the uh, New Mexico Bowl the next year. Um, I got to wear my jersey and stuff, but I was still hurt. So I didn't get yeah. to dress the whole season. And then after that, that was pretty much it for me. So two years playing U of A football, one, one of those years injured, incredible experience, man. 
Loved every bit of it. Loved the dudes. Loved everything I learned. I would not trade it for the world, dude. It was incredible. But uh, it was over pretty quick. And then it was back to to getting the degree. So yeah, and and two, they're like you're not only playing football, but you're pursuing a degree in biochemistry, right? And that's no small feat. I mean, I I have a degree in molecular bio, so a lot of overlap in that too. And it's like you take. I mean, I remember taking, or I don't know, I'm going to ask you, like, what was the worst class you took for me? I think it was organic chemistry O-Cam, one. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> O-Cam was, was no joke, man. Um, you know, I took this class and uh, it was called Biochemistry 496, and it was a biochemistry of nucleic acids. Yep. And I think that was the most conceptually challenging class that I've ever taken. It was one of those classes where you didn't really have homework, you just had exams. So it was like, you either put out for this next three weeks or and take this exam, pass this exam, or not. Like nobody's going to hold your hand and make you do homework yep. or check you off. And so I think that was really the, the challenge was the accountability aspect. It's like when you're a senior, you have to do like all of your own preparation yeah. and game planning and then show up and take the test. Like she didn't even care if people didn't show up to class. Yeah, yep. That's, and it, it gets to that level when you're, when you're up there because you, you start talking about these hard science career fields and it's like, well, if, if you're not if you're not organized enough and not determined enough to learn it on your own, you're not going to be able to cut it in med school, or you're not going to be able to cut it in a PhD program doing research. So it's it's almost like a its own indoc, its own weeding out process. It's a complete mental game instead of a instead of the physical side. Of course, stuff like indoc is mental and physical, but it's almost like a complete opposite side of that spectrum. I like that you say that because there were so many students that complained whenever I was in college, like, I'm never going to use this again. And I was like, <laughs> you guys don't understand. It's not about that. This yeah. is a weed out process. Yep. They want to see if you have what it takes to handle the study capacity that you're going to deal with at some of these medical schools mm-hmm. or whatever you guys are going to end up doing. So yeah, man, I, hardest thing I've ever done in my life is is getting that degree in biochemistry. And it wasn't just because of the academics. It was the whole process of graduating college. It was the finances. It was the process. It was the workload. It was tough, man. You know, transitioning from getting out of the military to being a student. All of that is tough. Um, football was a great transition for me. Um, being a part of a team, having right. a mission, that was huge for me. But when football was done, it was tough. So it actually took me about six years to get that degree, man. So, um, hardest thing I've ever done, but you did it. You knocked it out. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I did it. I I did it. Knocked it out. So, um, to rewind a little bit, I I think the coolest thing that happened to me in college next to football was I was, I was taking too heavy of a load of classes. And so I went to my academic advisor and I was like, Hey bro, like Andy, can you like get me an easy elective man to where it's like (laughs) sciencey, but you know, I don't have to do a lot of work. Right. Is that possible? Andy, he's like, I'll see what I can do. So, I mean, dude, like the the support you have in special operations is incredible. Like, and I, and you have it too, right? I mean, being a dagger guy, like you have incredible support. So you know what I'm talking about, but the U of A football team, you have an entire support staff as well in all different aspects that you would never even think about. I mean, for goodness sakes, there's like eight people that just spend their whole day stalking people on social media and making sure they're behaving themselves. Really? I kid you not. Wow. Yeah, they get scholarships for it. I kid you not. Um, that's a separate conversation. But Yeah. PsyOps. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. PsyOps. So anyways, man. Um, yeah, so Andy's like, hey, man. Like, hey, I got this class for you. I'm like, okay, what's up? What is it? He's called... He says, it's called Systems and Industrial Engineering 492. And that, does, like, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like an that easy class. That sounds really scary. He's <laughs> like, no, you don't, you don't understand. This guy's name is Dr. Ricardo Valerdi. 
Look him up. He's super cool. And you're going to help him with his science of sports project. Okay. He's a researcher. And I'm like, all right, dude, sounds good. So I ended up meeting with Ricardo Valerdi. And shout out to you, Ricardo. I'm going to totally send this episode to you and have you listen to it. Um, Ricardo was probably one of the coolest dudes I've ever met in my life. And like this guy is not only creative, but he's brilliant and he's humble and he's a people person and he's an organizer and idealist. Like you don't really find people like Ricardo and Ricardo owns this company called the science of sport and the science of sport gets these contracts with like the MLB, the NBA, the NFL, and they run these field trips for middle school students, high school students, whoever it is at these major league ballparks or pro football stadiums. And they teach the, the kids, the students, mathematics and physics via STEM education through baseball or football. Okay. So it's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to triangulate angles or we're going to teach you how to, you know, we're going to teach you about triangles and, and how to calculate the third side of a triangle while showing you baseball and, and throwing a ball out to center field. It's a really cool way to teach math and, uh, and science. It works. Yeah, make it fun, right? Turn it into a game. Yeah, so Ricardo's just crushing it with this, and uh, he's a senior professor at the University of Arizona, um, or a full professor at the University of Arizona. So he ends up becoming my dear friend, and uh, I love Ricardo to death, and uh, if it wasn't for him, I would have never started SoCom Athlete or even learned about that whole world and thought right. about starting a business. So I do research for Ricardo, and we quickly find out about this project called the Mind Matters Challenge. And this is an NCAA slash DOD effort where they're trying to fund a team who can change the culture of college athletes to start reporting their concussions. And this is like back when like CTE was a really hot thing. Like right. the, the movie with Will Smith, Concussion, came out. Yep. I want to say six months after we won this challenge. And... The idea was about 50% of NCAA football players, Lance, when they show up to, to a football team, they've never had a grade two concussion. A grade two concussion being one where you don't go unconscious, but you're symptomatic. So maybe you have like double vision, blurred vision, uh, slurred speech, yep. delayed reaction time, color uh, color blindness, you name it, right? That's, that's like grade two concussion. But a grade one where you black out, I mean, that's easy to report. And so the problem that we're seeing is that these, these athletes have never had a grade two before. So if they're out there in the heat of the moment under adrenaline in battle, right. they're not going to be like, hey, man, I think I had a grade two concussion. You need to take me out of the game. It's fight or flight yeah. for those guys. So how do we change that? Well, we started this smartphone app in virtual reality called Brain Gains. And Brain Gains, we, we've ordered this piece of Google Cardboard is what it was called. And Google Cardboard had the ability, it had a splitter lens on it. And so you, you slide your phone into it and you hold it up to your face, just like a little virtual reality platform. Yep. I think Google Cardboard was like two bucks in bulk. So it's really cool. We'd be able to, to disseminate it out in, in the masses for athletes. And you go through this series of catching punts in Arizona Stadium. So we took a drone to Arizona Stadium before people knew about drones and turned it into virtual reality. So you're on this app catching punts in first person. So you got your face mask, you got to press, you got one button. So you got to press the button in time to catch the ball. And then you get smacked by Scooby Wright, who was our stud defensive player of the year, Heisman Trophy candidate, you name it. Myself and Scooby Wright got transformed into virtual reality. 
So you catch a punch, you get hit by Scooby, and then you get one of five of these grade two concussion symptoms. And then you gotta catch a punch again with the concussion symptom. And the idea is, is to show these athletes, okay. like, hey, if you get a concussion, all right, we know that you're in the heat of battle, but you can't perform as good, and you're going to let your team down, and you could lose this football game, or something could happen to you. So that's why you should not stay in the game. Now, caveat on that, here are some of the health issues, which they generally don't want to hear, but right. here's the health issues and whatnot. So we created this program it was essentially a game in virtual reality. And then we had this whole curriculum behind it. And we ended up winning the contest and getting funded by the NCAA and the DOD. So this led to other opportunities while I was in college. And I ended up getting a job after I graduated with the Defense and Security Research Institute as a consultant, bringing special operations forces and research and capabilities there to the DSRI. And what I learned was that I was helping a lot of people make money on their grants and their efforts for their vision, mm -hmm. and their collaborative. And I decided that I wanted to use my time to do something that I believed in and something that I was good at and that I loved to do. And we talked about Carl earlier, and there was nothing that I loved more than mentoring people, I realized, helping people. Maybe I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but God put me on that path into college to show me that what I really wanted was to help people, and there's so many ways to do it. So the experiences with Ricardo and the experiences with the DSRI and getting that biochemistry degree, it wasn't in vain. It helped me be able to start this human performance-based online community preparation type of program for these guys and girls that want to go into special operations. So long story short, that's what led me into SOCOM Athlete now, Lance. Awesome. And so SOCOM Athlete has grown since you started it, right? I mean, you've been working with other uh, soft guys who have, you know, come out of the, the community and are, you know, part of your cadre team. And you, you are uh, basically going and getting getting feedback from uh, people, I'm assuming a lot of high school students who are looking at this avenue of approach for the different uh, special operations career fields, whether they be pararescue and special tactics in the Air Force or, you know, the guys trying to go to BUDS for Naval Special Warfare or uh, guys going to trying to go Green Beret. Like you got you pretty much got everybody trying to go to all all four of the branches coming to you now for mentorship and for guidance on their what to expect trying to go into this this career fields. Right. Yeah, so the idea and calling it SOCOM Athlete, I probably would have called it something different at the time because <laughs> nobody knows what SOCOM is, right. but SOCOM Athlete is Special Operations Command, mm -hmm. and Special Operations Command is the umbrella for MARSOC and Naval Special Warfare and AFSOC, so you have all of these different entities, right? Um, Army Special Operations Command, all of these different entities that fall under one umbrella, so SOCOM Athlete is all about figuring out which job in special operations is meant for you. And sometimes that's a difficult thing. Sure. And in the past, before this existed, and before you could get on Google and search these jobs, people didn't really know what to do or even what their options were. So maybe they talk to a recruiter and see a video and they're right. sold. Or they got an uncle that was a Green Beret and they're sold. Yeah. So this provides students the opportunity to see what their options are and actually meet and get some face-to-face -face with former and active operators that have done it. And one of the things I've seen, you, you brought up having former operators come in. One of the coolest things I've seen about this program is these guys that come in, they get out of the military, they're freshly retired, they have a tough time adjusting to not being a part of the mission anymore right. and not serving a purpose. 
So they show up to these workouts or they get added to our group chats on SOCOM Athlete or they come to one of the hell days and guest instruct. It's almost as beneficial for them as it is the students. I've seen some incredible results with these instructors, man, just saying, Jay, like that was awesome, man. Yeah. I want to do this more often. And they show up like three months later and they're like 20 pounds lighter, muscles <laughs> and veins everywhere. And they're having a great time with the students, mentoring the students. So it's very therapeutic for these operators to be able to come out and continue to give back. Sure. So it's a very special part about it. And that mentorship piece it works uh, both ways. I mean, I'm, I'm discovering it more and more now is that, you know, I'm getting in my 30s and, and as an NCO with troops of my own um, that like, that mentorship piece is super important for the young, the young guys and gals coming up, but it's super important for, uh, us guys who've, you know, been around the block once or twice to go back and teach and teach that next generation, pass on what we've learned. Uh, you know, the idea is like, learn from the mistakes I've made, you know, I've, 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 I could help you avoid doing some stupid stuff if you'd listen to me. And just like you said too, that whole thing of getting remotivated and like kind of seeing that kind of young blood invigoration and that fire in their eyes, you know, that fire in their bellies. And it, it gets, it gets to you too. And it makes you want to be motivated and stay in the fight too. And on the contrary, Lance, I hate to say it, but it's also kind of a, um, a rude awakening and an eye opener <laughs> for a lot of people too, because it can be, they're yeah. like, Hey man, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah. I've seen the movies. And then they show up to one of these workouts and they got a heavy log on their back yep. and they got the pressure on and they're dealing with intense timelines and they got to get out and do an open water swim and then crab walk up a hill that's a hundred or 150 feet high backwards. And they're kind of second guessing whether or sure. not this is what they want to do. So you know, I'd love to say that everybody who comes into this program ends up being successful and moving into special operations later, but that's not the case. This program is really designed around helping people find their purpose. And if that purpose is in special operations, great. But if it's not, that's okay because there are so many ways that you can add value to this society and this world outside of special operations. Right. And just the very fact that you've got people that are willing to... Um, you know, they're walking into it willing. These are people, you know, young guys and girls that are coming into the military volunteer, right? So there's no draft. They're doing it on their own accord or thinking they want to do it. You know, this is the direction they're leaning um, and willing to put themselves through the, you know, through the fire, so to speak, says a lot about them. Even if they decide this is not what I want to do, the fact that they come out and give it a try and learn a little bit about themselves and decide maybe this isn't the right avenue. And then for some of them, I'm sure that gets them really motivated and they're like, I can do this. You know, it kind of it lights, lights the fire in their, in their belly, like I said, and then they can really get an idea of what to expect when they finally just decide to sign on the dotted line and, and, and make that commitment. I think one of the biggest things, Lance, is the identity crisis that we're seeing in this country right mm. now. Like everybody wants to fall into a, a category right. to feel accepted. Everybody wants to, to be cool. Everybody wants to have that thing on their social media that says, this is who I am, or this is what I do, or this is what I'm shooting for. And in special operations, it's not about having that identity, right? It's like, okay, I want to have my identity as this badass or, or whatever it is, but that comes later, right? You find your identity in service and yep. selflessness. That's where it comes first. And then once you earn that then you can go ahead and have your identity. But even then, like you don't want to have your identity in your career field. You have your identity as a man or your identity as a woman. Or you right. know what? I am, I'm, I'm a man of God or I am a giver or I am somebody who's going to make the world a better place. Like that's your identity. And you happen to be a pararescueman or a, or a SEAL or a combat controller or, or you know, security forces dagger. I mean, you have your identity in being somebody elite, but you're still a father. 
right? You're still a brother. So I think like that's the thing that a lot of people are missing is like they're looking for this identity, but that may not be the identity that God has planned for them. But hopefully they'll find out what that's going to be based on their preparedness and and how they perform at these workouts. And, you know, you don't have to be the most in-shape person, although we do get a ton of studs coming to these workouts. We have a lot of people that show up too that aren't in that greatest shape, but they're like, okay, I want to see where I'm at. I want to see where I need to go and how hard I need to train, what I'm missing. I want to get assessed so that I can know what to work on. And that's like my biggest recommendation for people. It's like come out here and be a part of this family, this community, because there are elite candidates here. See what it's like. Nobody's judging you. You shouldn't be self-conscious. Put your ego aside. This is a family. Absolutely. And that's that's huge, huge part of it is that like accountability piece, right? Because I know for me personally, like if I have a training partner, I, I typically like to pick someone too who's a little bit better than me at something. So Absolutely. I got a rabbit to chase, right? So you got that accountability piece and then you've got that community piece too to lean on. And that's what's huge about, you know, being in the military. Just like I said before, it's like being being in the Air Force is one thing, but then being a PJ is something else entirely. And then being part of a certain PJ squadron is something yet again. And you you really find that tribe and that community in it. And I think it's awesome you're given these young people an opportunity to start to build that community before they're even in the military and support each other in this huge ambition of coming into the special operations community. Thanks, Lance. It's all about the accountability. So these group training chats that we have in SOCOM Athlete, they're free to be a part of. And the application process, I think it's like seven or eight questions, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to accept you if you seem like a solid person. Uh, Do a little ID verification process. So like 90% of the people, they send their application on Instagram. So you can kind of see their profile, you know, if they're posting up a bunch of selfies of themselves with airsoft guns and, you know, got a bunch of like... Shirtless pics. Yeah, dude, like (laughs) I'm going to be like, okay, okay. But most of the people that apply are really solid. And to kind of touch on something that you said earlier... Um, a lot of our students are actually not in high school. We definitely have our fair share of high schoolers, but I would say a lot of our students are in the early 20s and mid-20s, and we have a lot of active duty and and prior service as well. And I think that's because you have more of a mature crowd that's coming in. They're like, okay, like I've done my research and it's led me to this, versus the younger generation, they're still kind of in that handout mode where they're kind of waiting on things to get handed to them or kind of fall into their lap. And there comes a point where you realize like, that's not the way it is. Like Mm -hmm. I have to go out and grab this information. So you get a part of these group chats and you know, if you're in a place like Michigan, you may only have like 12 or 13 people in your group. It's a smaller group, but it still gives you the opportunity to chat with people, share your workouts. You always have this chat that's going 24 seven. You've got some instructor supervision. There's going to be some announcements, some workouts getting put in there, et cetera. But then you get groups like LA you got 67 people in there, and I mean, they're training together all the time. you got people that are best friends in there now. They've been training together for a year. We've got students that have gone through BUDS together. Uh, I have three students right now that are going f- uh, through the Air Force Assessment and Selection course together. Two of them were at a hell day together. Uh, it's just really incredible to see the networking and the accountability, and that's what it's all about. You go out and you train on your own. You can coast. It is impossible to push yourself the way that you can whenever you have an accountability partner. It's true. And just like you said, even better, if you can find somebody that's a little bit better than you in the pool, yep. and then you're a little bit better than them at the run, yep. it's like, okay, man, it's we'll go to the pool and you can drown me a little bit, but I'm going to go take you and I'm going to run you into the ground after yep. this, right? And yep. that's what it's all about is finding those partners. So we have rosters and you can click on them at any time. They're live and the contact information is there, guys' availability, where they're at. 
And so the ball's in their court, man. You know, this platform is there. It's free for them, and they got to take it and run with it. Yeah. Uh, and you said you've had female candidates come out too now, because like just in the past couple of years now, these, uh, you know, the special warfare, these be the battlefield airmen career fields, but the special warfare uh, career fields are open now to, to women as well, right? They so are. Are, you, are you seeing people, uh, girls, women show, show up and putting out and deciding they really want to go down this path? You know, I have I have had women show up. I would say around eight to ten women have showed up to our events. I've mentored um, three women actually, and what I can tell you about female candidates is that um, typically across the board you see high commitment, high organization, a very level head, but there are some performance discrepancies right. typically in running and upper body stuff. Right. Um, we and that's, had, that's biological. It, it is It is biological. Now, are, am I going to say that there aren't females out there that can't crush these fitness tests? There, We know that there absolutely are, but do they want to become special operators? That's right. really the question, you know. So I had one uh, student show up to a hell day in San Diego, and her name was Brianna. And Brianna did 81 perfect push-ups. And I, I remember counting yeah. every single one of them. They were perfect push-ups, and we don't give these students any slack. Right. If they don't break that plane, that 90-degree plane, and they don't lock out all the way, we're not going to count it. Um, she did 18 pull-ups, um, perfect pull-ups, okay? Um, her run was a little bit high. It was about a 10.18 on the mile and a half, but her swim time was an 8.50, somewhere okay. around there. So she was a stud. I mean, yeah. she, she absolutely should get that run time down a little bit. Um, she'll do very well on the pass test. But again, it's not just about the pass test. It's that day-to-day grind. Right. And so just talking about females, do I think that there's females that can do it? Absolutely. There's one that's doing it right now, the first female to ever graduate basic reconnaissance course um, in the Marine Corps side of the house. Um, last thing I heard from her, she was down at the Marine Corps combat dive course. And I don't know of a female that's ever gone through a Marine Corps combat diver course. And I actually... I didn't get to meet her, but I did see her running by in person. She's probably five seven, five eight. Um, you know, nothing special as far as physicalities. Just a solid candidate. And I right. talked to the instructors, and they said, "Yeah, man, she you knew she wasn't bottom of the class. She wasn't top of the class. Just a solid candidate. Earned her way through, just like anybody else." Yeah. And I was like, "Man, that's good to hear." And that's the way I see it. Like, I understand that a lot of people have their opinions on the operational aspect. Like, all right, you got a, a male and a female, you know, in a foxhole. Well, how many times is that really going to happen? Okay, but I, I get it. I get what they're saying. Or, hey, you got a male and a female out on a long land movement, and you know she's got to use the restroom. Like, I, I get it. Like, there's going to be some barriers that, that will have to be broken down. But we haven't even seen that yet because a female hasn't actually made it through and has been on the teams operating. We've seen some officers make it through in various uh, career fields. Um, you've seen students that have gone through um, the spec or prep course, um, but there hasn't been a female that's made it past day one of the Air Force selection course. Right. So they're coming, but we haven't seen a whole lot of success yeah. yet on the Air Force side of the house. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some solid um, females and I've seen some not so solid females. But, you know, it's my job to give them the best shot possible. And Absolutely. And that's the way I see it. I, I mean, the way I view it is... Uh... I don't, I'm not sure if you know who Pat McManer is. He's a he's a re- retired um, Green Beret. He did Delta and all that stuff. Uh, he's a shooting instructor now, and he he also has like his own training plan. He combines a lot of uh, range work with with PT, basically you know stress stress shooting that kind yeah, of thing. Stress shoot. 
he's 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 got some great content out there if anybody's not checking him out. But he uh, he puts out these Sunday sermons of just like advice, you know, of, of of things to do to keep situational awareness in everyday life and all that stuff. And he says the mind is the final weapon; everything else is supplementary. And I think that's one hundred percent true. Of and I think we're seeing it more now with the special warfare airmen and the air force. I mean, this this the tapas test, the psychological assessment. We're looking we're looking at people. You could be the greatest stud in the world, a complete phenom athletically, but if you don't if you don't if you don't do well in a team dynamic, if you if you can't make decisions under under high stress if you just don't jive well in a team environment it's like you're you're not you're not the total package yeah and it's hard because you may not be able to develop those skills quick enough during selection so it's like if that's what we're looking for and we're really going to start emphasizing communication uh, resiliency and the human performance side of the house over just pure physical performance then we have to be prepared to deal with some of the repercussions of that. And we also have to put together a necessary curriculum that's going to be worthy of selecting those kind of students. Because me, for example, I guarantee you I had a personality that would have been more suited for combat control. Mm. But pararescue was my purpose. Like That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to serve in my father's footsteps. So where's that line where it's like, okay, maybe my personality is a little bit more suited for something else, but this is what I want well, to yeah. do. There's nothing like having passion for your job. Absolutely. And when these, these kind of selections where you're, you're getting put in, in the water and, and told, you know, you got to hold your breath for a certain amount of time and these high stress situations, if you don't really want it, you're not going to make it all the way through the training. It's got to be worth it. Yeah, man. hundred percent. I, I appreciate your take on it. And I, I mean, I think, I think the whole concept behind SOCOM athlete is awesome. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll come out into one of one of your hell hell days or hell weekends and just put myself through the rigmarole just to just to make sure I'm I'm not letting myself slack too much. Yeah, man, <laughs> come out to the fitness test and and do your thing and talk to the students and and participate however you want, man. We'd love to have you out. Okay, that'd be sweet, man. Got one coming up on uh, June 26th through June 28th here in Destin. Okay. The hell days on Saturday the 27th, and then got another one coming up August 28th through 30th. The hell day will be on that uh, 29th on the Saturday. Awesome. I'll make sure that we uh, get this edited and posted before that too so that it can kind of get circulated a little bit and Sounds maybe get good, you a little man. more foot traffic. Sounds good. So I, I like to ask all the guests that I have on the on the podcast, uh, when like you hear the term Warrior Monk, this being the Warrior Monk podcast, uh, we, you know, wh- what's that definition mean to you? What do you think of? Who do you think of? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. And you know, some people may think that um, it's ironic or, you know, you can't have those two parallels, but look at King David, for example, and, uh, for our listeners check out Psalm 18 and, uh, kind of scroll down a little bit. You look at David talking about, uh, victory and, and thanking God for this victory that he had. So, you know, the, a monk in, in the literal sense being, uh, a man who is completely disconnecting himself from society to, pursue religion at the highest level versus a warrior who is uh, a man who is going out and actually um, living on the battlefield and pursuing a life of war. How do you combine those two things in one? And that's really what's special about that question, the warrior monk. And that takes me back to David. Like The warrior monk uh, to me is somebody who has identified that being a warrior is not just all about berserking and um, bloodlust and rage and pure brute strength and domination. It is um, about a sense of selflessness. It's um, having a sense of peace, a sense of purpose, and being able to turn switches on and off. 
So every warrior, we talked about identity earlier. Like every, if you identify as a warrior, like you may not ever have any peace in life. Like that is an identity. That is something that you are. But what else are you? Are you a warrior and a father? Are you a warrior and a brother? Are you a warrior and a scuba diver? Are you a warrior (laughs) and an environmentalist? Like what, what are you? Who are you? You have to find some type of of peace and and sense of, of self and sense of selflessness through all of this. So to answer your question, the warrior monk to me is the person who has found the balance between meditation and prayer and the spiritual world versus the purpose that they serve on the battlefield. And it's an extremely challenging thing to find. But if you can put those two things together, I think the warrior finds peace. So I don't think that every warrior per se um, is a warrior monk, but I think that every warrior who has taken his or her job and career to the highest level will eventually seek that type of lifestyle Mm. and will seek that type of peace. And I don't like to talk about Afghanistan very much. However, to go back to it, as a PJ, whenever you're going on a mission, as you know, Lance, like it's going to be the worst day of somebody's life. Right. So as a young PJ who just trained and trained and trained, you're talking about athletics, you know, you practice, 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 you don't get to play in a game. Like your PJ, you train and train and train, you want to go get a mission. But unfortunately, what that involves is somebody having the worst day of their life. So I had this prayer in Afghanistan that I used to say. And I used to say, Lord, I pray that nobody gets hurt today in this country. However, I know that something bad is going to happen. And that's why I'm here. And if it does, and when it does, I pray that I'm the person that responds to it. So it's all about having that switch. You can be at peace whenever you're at base. You can be at peace whenever your sword's down by, and and whenever your sword's sheathed, it's Mm -hmm. down by your side. But when it's time to pull the sword out and swing the sword, that's when it's time to be a warrior. And then when it's time to switch that, that turn that switch off, it's time to be that, that, that monk, right? And I think that you can find that balance in life if you're constantly flipping that switch off. And I tell my students this, you know, some of my students are like, hey, how do I balance my aggression and some of like those violent tendencies and those uh, ambitious tendencies with also being humble and being soft-spoken and being patient? And I say, well, you gotta have the switch. Look at your light switch. Just because you turn it off, does that mean that electricity is not still running through right. those circuits? Absolutely not. The electricity is still there. However, the light just isn't on. You're not showing the light. So I tell listeners, you know, and our students, keep the electricity at all times, but just know when to turn your switch on and off. Yeah. I love your take on it, man. And I appreciate you sharing it. Um, One of my first, actually my very first uh, podcast episode I did with a a security forces senior enlisted guy who was a mentor to me. And uh, he actually boxed for the Air Force boxing team back when he had one. He did. Uh, he competed in mixed martial arts, and he said he, his argument though is it's not a switch; it's a knob. It's like a rheostat, right? I like that. And you got to be able to turn it up, and then sometimes turn it down. You know, because if you operate at ten all the time, the bulb's gonna burn out. And if you leave it off, nothing's getting done. So you got to kind of be able to turn it up to like a five or six sometimes, and then turn it down. Or sometimes you got to go to eight or nine. But you got to be able to turn it and know when to turn it, and I love that analogy. And I, I think it, I think it still falls in line with with your mentality about it too. 
Yeah, I like that a lot, Lance. Yeah, man. Well, please tell tell anybody out there who wants to connect with SoCom Athlete, who wants to come out for a hell day, who wants to get connected with the the community, who's thinking about going down to the, any of these career fields in, in soft. How do they how do they find you? How do they find this community? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lance, thank you so much for just having me here. First of all, man, like it was an absolute blast, man. It was you're a true professional, and I loved being on your podcast. And thank you. If you'd like to uh, dig a little bit deeper or check out SoCom Athlete. We have a brand new YouTube channel. You can check us out there at SoCom Athlete. Check out our podcast, Send Me. Um, you can look us up on any platform and check us out on Instagram at SoCom Athlete. Um, if you're interested in attending one of our courses um, or checking out our group training chats, just hop on our website, navigate over to the group training chats or the events tab and uh, shoot us an email if you want to go further from there. Awesome. I'll make sure I uh, link link you uh, at SoCom Athlete too when I, this goes online. So thanks for your time, brother. I appreciate the talk. Sounds great, Lance. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. God bless, and I'll look forward to being in touch. Yeah, man. All right, thank you to Jason one more time for inviting me over to his place. We uh, collaborated a little bit with podcasting equipment to make this happen. He's been doing some podcasting himself through uh, SoCom Athlete's platform. If you are interested in learning more about SoCom Athlete, if you are interested in changing your career field in the military from working the conventional side of the house to special operations. If you're a civilian and you are leaning towards coming into the military specifically to do special operations, SOCOM Athlete has some awesome resources for you guys. Go ahead and go over to www.socomathlete.com. You can check them out on Instagram at SOCOM Athlete. You can check out their YouTube channel. A lot of content, a lot of information, a lot of mentorship for you to get. Unfortunately, I was not able to get this podcast done in time to uh, get it posted for their recent Destin Hell Day, but for the month of July, they also have California, Colorado, North Carolina. So they're going to be having more events coming up in the near future for people to get involved in. Go do it. You can. You just need to have some intrinsic motivation, a little bit of mentorship and guidance, and you can get out there and get it done. All right, guys, like I said earlier in the podcast, if you've been enjoying this content, please help me spread the message, get more people involved, hit me up with a direct message on Facebook or on Instagram, what you want to hear, what you want to see, hook me up with somebody that you think is a warrior monk, and let's have a conversation so we can promote this concept of growth through balance. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining me on the Warrior Monk Podcast. This is Lance signing out.